The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Hi, I'm Brad Bannon, the host of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, a columnist for The Messenger, and a political analyst for news radio station KNX in Los Angeles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups labor unions, and Democrats. Uh, On Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies that drive our great nation forward. Fans of courtroom drama are in for a big treat today on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our first guest, Carolyn Vakil, talks about the impact of Donald Trump's Uh, legal problems on the uh, presidential race. Then in the second half hour, Paul Lisnick, who is the legal analyst for WGN-TV in Chicago, uh, discusses pending Supreme Court decisions and uh, the court's ethics problems. But before we get to our first guest, we're going to go hear this clip from MSNBC's uh, Hayes Brown, who talks about the new NBC News uh, poll on the presidential race. Talk about this precipitous drop for Ron DeSantis. What is going on? I mean, it's a couple of factors there. One being that uh, as the GOP field expands, the people who are looking for someone other than Trump are starting to look around a bit more. I feel like that has to be a factor here. Also, DeSantis had a really terrible rollout for his campaign. I mean, you had the failed uh, Twitter launch. You had just him. I, I feel like he's been doing okay at retail politics, but given the uh, sort of way he's treated the press over the years as the enemy, he has done himself no favors <laughs> in getting positive coverage moving forward. And uh, it just really hindered his campaign. He's now, you're starting to see him start to go after Trump. You're seeing him start to try to really separate himself. But for someone who's running to the right of Trump, it is really fascinating how even people who are likely GOP voters who consider themselves very conservative still support Trump over DeSantis. Uh, Trump has really sort of shifted the way the GOP primary base has thought about what it means to be conservative in a way that is not helping DeSantis right now. That was uh, Hayes Brown discussing on uh, MSNBC, talking about the new NBC News poll on the presidential race. Our guest in this half hour is Caroline Vakil, who is covering the presidential race for the Hill. Uh, Welcome back to Deadline DC, Caroline. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rod. Okay, now by my arithmetic, uh, in April, Uh, Donald Trump had a 16-point lead over Ron DeSantis uh, in the Republican presidential race. 
in the new new poll, which uh, NBC released yesterday, I think, uh, Trump's lead was up to 29 points. Uh, and it really blew my mind. In fact, it was one of those surveys I had to take a look at the numbers twice. How did Trump's lead actually increase after you know all sorts of legal problems? There was the defamation suit that he'd lost against uh, E. Jean Carroll. Uh, he was indicted uh, by a jury in Manhattan for 30-some counts of business fraud. Uh, and then, of course, he was indicted by the feds uh, in the uh, uh, possession under the Espionage Act for holding on to top secret documents. Uh, and I guess my question to you is uh, if the feds indict him for his role in the January 6th uh, abortive capital coup, do you think his numbers will go up even more? Um, that's a great question, Brad. I, I mean, I, I don't think that is outside the realm of possibility. Um, that NBC News poll that you spoke about did show between April and June that he did see um, a notable increase in his standing among, um, you know, voters uh, in terms of the Republican presidential primary field while seeing Governor Ron DeSantis's standing among them sort of start to slip a bit by nine points in that poll. Um, you know, we, we can sort of see a few different things happening. One thing is that kind of similar to the first indictment he received by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, it kind of helped boost and rally support. I mean, he even used this as a bit of a fundraising mechanism to sort of say that if officials are going after me, you know, this is political prosecution. Um, and I think it's been a way for him to sort of rile up his base. And, you know, interestingly, I think the way that Republicans have sort of looked at both indictments is a little bit different in that I think Republican strategists that I've talked to, for example, didn't necessarily buy the charges that were made by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, but starting to see a bit of a, you know, sort of serious allegations being posed in this most recent Justice Department um, uh, uh, probe into his handling of the classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. And so, but at the same time, you know, it, it's uh, offering him a bit of a boost among primary voters. So that's one thing. And then another thing that Hayes Brown's alluded to on MSNBC is that, you know, after the November elections, Governor DeSantis was viewed very positively for his 19-point win in his re-election bid. Fast forward to June now, and the sort of the dynamics of the race are a little bit different. Republicans are a little bit less, that I've spoken to, are a little bit less enamored with DeSantis. Um, they feel that he's made some mistakes in terms of regarding, you know, it might be his position on Ukraine and calling it a, quote, territorial dispute, which he later cleaned up. Also, his, um, you know, his launching of his official campaign on Twitter. Um, and, and so I think, you know, sort of to Hayes, Hayes Brown's point, you know, I think Republicans are, you know, starting to take a look at, at other candidates in the field to see if there's another non-Trump alternative maybe that they can coalesce around. Although DeSantis is currently still the only one pulling at double digits besides Trump. Well, let me uh, let me ask you this question, Caroline. Uh, I as a pollster am very suspicious of primary polls. Uh, they are incredibly amorphous. They can change 
you know, double digits over the course of a couple of days during the course of a hot primary. So, but still, it's, I find it amazing that Donald Trump is able to defy the laws of political gravity. Uh, do you think there's still time and opportunity for one of the other GOP candidates uh, to overtake Trump? And if you think there is, uh, which of the candidates, uh, you know, besides DeSantis, you think can do it? Um, I do definitely think there is. You know, it sort of feels like we're in this moment right now where everything matters so much. And then by the time that we hit the Iowa caucuses next year, it's going to feel very different. There's going to be so much happening. You know, Trump is still under several investigations. Um, both in Fulton County, Georgia, as well as, um, you know, the, the January 6th uh, Capitol riot uh, related investigation. And so, uh, you know, there are still legal challenges that the former president is going to be handling. Um, at the okay, same time- Carolyn, unfortunately, uh, no, I continue. I got the break wrong. Continue, please. No worries. Um, what I was just going to add is that, um, you know, we we still have to see a, a few developments. First of all, there's going to be the first um, debate on the Republican side happening in August. Um, you know, in addition to monitoring sort of these legal controversies swirling around the former president. Um, at the same time, we're going to be watching for how the contenders continue to create their own lane. Um, and there's also plenty of time ahead of the, the early presidential primary states. And Republicans are really going to have to at one point figure out how they're doing in the polls. You know, they're going to all be fighting for the same kinds of um, donors to, you know, back them. That's going to start to whittle down the field. One thing I did think was um, interesting from that NBC News poll, um, Chris Christie, former New Jersey governor, Chris Christie, he um, had actually climbed five points in, in this most recent poll. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see whether this anti-Trump lane um, is, you know, he's able to sort of galvanize voters um, and if they're going to be able to reward that sort of message he's trying to sell them. Okay. Now I do have to interrupt you. Uh, we're going to take a very short break. Uh, our radio listeners are going to take a very short break. Uh, we will continue this interview with our guest, uh, campaign, who, uh, Caroline McKeel, who is covering the camp, rep- the camp presidential campaign for the Hill. Radio listeners, if you want to watch the show as well, listen to it. You can watch it at uh, twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon or on facebook.com front slash deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos. We'll be right back at this very quick break. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. My guest in this half, not half hour is Caroline Peel, who is uh, covering the presidential race for the Hill. And that's what we're talking about today, the presidential race. Uh, we talked mainly about the Republicans uh, in the first uh, uh, segment. Uh, now we're going to move and talk about the general election. Uh, the uh, NBC News poll that we've been discussing also uh did a matchup between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And Joe Biden was ahead by uh, four points. And when I first saw this poll, my first thought was, 
how is, you know, Donald Trump still competitive? And it's basically four points is the margin of error in the MS and the NBC news poll. How is he still competitive with Joe Biden? Uh, not only is Trump facing a, you know, a, an array of legal problems, uh, but, you know, Joe Biden has created, uh, I think, 13 million new jobs since uh, he became president. Uh, inflation is less of a problem now. The inflation rate has been going down in the last few weeks. So the economy is in pretty good shape and Americans vote their pocketbooks. And, you know, the economy is in a lot better shape than it was when Trump was president. What's going on here? What am I missing, Caroline? Um, well, I think that's a great question. I, I think that one thing that we're going to be sort of watching for um, you know, one potential question is if there's a sort of voter fatigue between a rematch between President Biden and former President Trump, um, you know, it, it is going to be interesting. I think, you know, there are definitely cohorts of Democrats, you know, along with, you know, President Biden, you know, in relation to President Biden and Republicans in relation to former President Trump, who would like to see an alternative that would not want to reelect um, their their you know, either or their man if they were the, the president party nominee. Um, so I do think it sort of speaks to that voters are open to something different. You know, President Biden is, of course, the de facto Democratic nominee, um, even though there are two sort of long shot Democratic um, uh, candidates that are running against him. Uh, former President Trump, it's obviously a little bit more contested, um, even though he is a you know former president. Um, I think, you know, on the one hand, one thing that uh, it, it's sort of going to be playing into this among on the Democratic side is, is going to be President Biden's aid. That's something that the White House is obviously very sensitive to. And I think that, but is also has been on the minds of voters in previous polling, um, you know, given that he would be uh, 86 if he left office after a second term. Um, you know, former President Trump is is not that much younger, but it of, often comes up a little bit less in terms of polling. On the other hand, with former President Trump, there are sort of legal challenges, you know, that we've sort of previously talked about that are swirling around him. Um, and, and so I think that voters are sort of weighing their options here a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, a number of, I think, uh, a large number of voters, a clear majority said in an NBC poll they had concerns uh, about uh, Joe Biden's age. Uh, and health, uh, more so than Trump, uh, th that I found interesting. Um, I think the question that NBC asked, how do you, uh, you know, do you have concerns about uh, Joe Biden's uh, mental and physical health? And also they asked the same question about Trump. And uh, there were, I think, 10% more voters concerned about Joe Biden's age uh, and health than there were about Trump's. And they did say mental health. And that made me wonder, you know, how, you know, Trump beat Biden on mental health. I don't understand. It seems to me the man's incredibly erratic. Let me ask you another question. Uh, there's been talk about a third party candidate, and I think you're right. 
the poll national polls show that voters aren't very sat aren't satisfied uh, with the choice uh, between Biden and Trump. Uh, there's all sorts of part uh, talk about uh, a third party uh, candidate. Do you think there will be one, or is this just a you know usual talk you get uh, this time in a presidential cycle? It's definitely possible. Law can definitely happen ahead of November. Um, you know, we, we've we been hearing murmurs about the potential of a third party candidate. Um, of course, I think that it would be of concern for Republicans and Democrats, just given which uh, party's candidate that's going to affect more prominently um, heading into November. Um, you know, and the way our you know two party system for the most part is would probably make it a bit difficult for a third party candidate to gain traction. But you know, a lot of things can definitely happen ahead of um, ahead of twenty twenty four in November next year. So, uh, yeah, any you know, there is a group. Uh, was it called No Issues or something that's uh, trying to promote the possibility of a third candidate? Uh, there's been talk about uh, Joe Manchin. Uh, do you have any idea who might be a third party candidate if there is one? Well, Cornell West is launching a oh, third party, right. third party bid. Um, it's yeah. Um, it's widely seen as a long shot bid. And I think with a lot of these third party candidates, um, these are going to largely be, I think, considered long shots. Although, as you mentioned, Senator Domanchi could launch a third party bid. He's you know, obviously making quite clear that he's not going to, um, you know, say publicly what his plans are for whether or not he's going to run for re-election until later the, this year. Um, but I, I think that both parties see this as, as a possibility, um, you know, and just something to watch for. So um, besides Cornell West, you know, we'll be watching to see if, if anyone else decides to uh, run as a, you know, non-Republican, non-Democrat. Okay. Let me ask you one question. If I was looking at this NBC News poll and if I was the president's advisors uh, and given Trump's legal problems, um, given the improvements that the president has uh, made in the economy, I would be concerned that it was only four points ahead of him. Uh, and the question is, uh, what do you think the Biden administration will do uh, to try to improve their position? Because if you're only four points ahead of Donald Trump, you know, that that suggests vulnerability to me. And, you know, what do you think? How do you think the president's people will react to this? Well, I think that the president's campaign is already having him out on the campaign trail to sort of tout his accomplishments. And so I think that he's already trying to start, you know, looking towards the general election um, and, and sort of starting to make the case to voters about a second term. Um, you know, again, to sort of reemphasize your know, previous point, a lot can happen ahead of not only you know late the summer's debates, but also the the early presidential primary states. I think Democrats are hoping in some ways that um, the Republican primary might bruise whoever the eventual nominee is, and that they can just focus on making the case to voters in, in November. Um, but you know, clearly he is starting to get onto the campaign trail, um, and that just sort of wait to see who comes out of the primaries. 
Okay. Carolyn, uh, that's all the time we have today. Thanks very much for joining us. Our guest in the first half hour of Deadline DC, Brad Bannon, was Caroline Vakil, who is covering the presidential race for the Hill. And I'm sure we'll have you back uh, during the campaign. Thanks very much, Carolyn. Thanks, Brad. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. In this half hour, we're going to talk to Paul Lisnick, who's the legal and political analyst for WGN uh, TV in Chicago. We're going to talk about uh, Donald Trump's legal problems and uh, pending Supreme Court rulings. Uh, But uh, before that, uh, we have a clip And the clip is Donald Trump's former attorney general, Bill Barr, uh, talking about uh, Donald Trump's uh, legal liability uh, from uh, the case involving uh, top secret documents, which apparently he hoarded in Mar-a-Lago. What about this this chief argument that comes up for the president's allies and his legal team that this should have been handled under the Presidential Records Act, not this uh, Espionage Act charge and other federal statutes that were used here? Well, it started out under the Presidential Records Act and and the archives trying to retrieve documents that Trump had no right to have. But it quickly became clear that what the government was really worried about were these classified and very sensitive documents. I was shocked by the degree of sensitivity of these documents and how many there were, frankly. And uh, so the government's agenda was to get those, uh, protect those documents and get them out. And I think it was perfectly appropriate to do that. It was the right thing to do. Uh, And I think the counts under the Espionage Act uh, that he willfully retain those documents are solid counts. Now, I, I do think we have to wait and see what the defense uh, says and, and, and what proves to be true. But I do think that even half what Andy McCarthy said, which is if even half of it is true, then he's toast. I mean, it's a it's a pretty it's a very detailed indictment. Uh, and it's very, very damning. And this idea of presenting Trump as a victim here, a victim of a witch hunt uh, is ridiculous. Yes, he's been a victim in the past. Yes, his uh, adversaries have obsessively pursued him with phony claims. And I've, and I've been at his side defending against them when he is a victim. But this is much different. He's not a victim here. He was totally wrong uh, that he had the right to have those documents. Those documents are among the most sensitive secrets that the country has. He, they have to be in the custody of the archivist. He had no right to maintain them and retain them. And he kept them uh, in a way uh, at Mar-a-Lago that anyone who really cares about national security, would their stomach would churn at it. That was uh, former Attorney General uh, Bill Barr, who is uh, talking about Donald Trump's uh, severe legal liability for for, uh, maintaining or even hoarding uh, top secret documents after he left the White House. Our guest in this half hour is uh, a a good friend of the show, uh, Paul Lisnick, who is the legal and political analyst for WGN TV in Chicago. Uh, Besides uh, being the analyst there on politics and uh, uh, the law, uh, Paul has a Sunday morning uh, 
show on politics on WGN. Uh, and uh, I'm sure if you'd like to uh, watch it, you can watch it, uh, I'm sure, on WGN TV live uh, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Uh, Paul, let me uh, start. Oh, I should also say we were going to have Paul on the show last week, uh, last Monday. Uh, but it was not only Paul's birthday last Monday, but it was Paul Lisnick Day in Chicago. Uh, and I was thinking, uh, my guess is Michael Jordan probably had a Michael Jordan day in Chicago. Uh, and it was only appropriate that one of my favorite guests was honored by his home city uh, last Monday. Uh, Paul, we're grateful to have you today. Happy birthday. And, uh, you know, congratulations on Paul Lisnick Day. Well, thank you, Brad. And the morning show did quite the tribute during the morning, all for fun and comedy, which is what they tend to do. Um, and all I had to do was send an envelope to each member of city council was, you know, <laughs> how that works in Chicago. Uh, Chicago politics as <laughs> usual. OK, uh, you heard uh, former attorney uh General Barr uh, discussed uh, Donald Trump's legal liability, uh, and Barr did not spare any words. Uh, he thought that uh, uh, Trump was in grave legal jeopardy. Do you agree? Oh, I don't think anything Barr said is inaccurate. Um, I mean, he did say, let's see what happens, basically. So he's certainly right about that. But uh, if, if you just go by the allegations in that indictment, which is really a leak-proof solid written indictment, um, the president is has a lot of problems. Now, the president has done a great, former president, has done a great job with the media spin, the public spin, I should say, um, because his supporters who, you know, when you discuss this with, with them, uh, Brad, as we all do, uh, you know, the answer is, but what about and what about? What about Hillary? What about Joe? What about Hunter? What about everything? Uh, nobody wants to talk about what he did and talk about the two-tier system of justice. But the bottom line is the president former president, unlike, unlike Biden and Pence, um, had documents like everybody else, but when they were told about it, they gave them back. Um, and President Trump, according to the indictment, not only didn't give them back, but conspired and made every effort involving his assistant, uh, Walt Nauta, to uh, assist him to hide these things from the government. It is a whole different ballgame, and I know Trump supporters don't care about that distinction, but it is a distinction with a difference, Brad. Yeah, it really is. Well, let me let me ask you this. Put on your political analyst hat as opposed to your legal analyst hat. Sure. Can Donald Trump get elected president uh, in the midst of all these legal problems? Uh, you know, he's way out in front in the uh, Republican uh, presidential race. In fact, in a new NBC poll shows his lead has actually increased since April, since he's been in constant legal problems. Uh, he's only four points behind Joe Biden in the NBC uh, general election trial heat. Can he survive this, uh, his legal problems politically and become uh, president? Uh, Brad, I think you answered your own question. The answer is yes. First of all, being four points behind, you know, the margin of error, yeah. right? So that's the probably- margin of error. Yeah, so he's within the market. So it's basically, call it an even race. Um, nothing that, that comes after. And by the way, if the president should get indicted in Georgia in August, 
and then a January 6th indictment, some point not too far from that, because if Jack Smith doesn't move quickly, there's just no reason to move on January 6th. So if somewhere in that August world, he also gets hit with a January 6th indictment, oh, I mean, I almost think there's certainly no stopping him from the Republican nomination. Chris Christie is now going to have the strongest voice to try. But the bottom line is, the more people, and you know this, the more people on that stage, the better it is for Trump. Will Hurd's now in the race. So I don't think there's any doubt, as of today, that he gets the nomination. He could be president from a jail cell because nothing stops him from being president in the Constitution. Uh, and then the, the Democrats' argument that, but Biden beat him in 2016, or sorry, 2020, and he'll certainly beat him in 2024, I just think it's a naive argument to make uh, be, because a lot of ha has happened between 20 to, uh, 2020. And, and part of it is 70 plus percent of the country thinks the country's on the wrong track. Biden can't get credit for anything he does, uh, even on a bipartisan basis. So absolutely, if it's Biden versus Trump again, and I did a radio show earlier this morning where somebody said, well, that's isn't that what makes Democrats giddy? Answer is, if it does, it shouldn't, because Democrats can absolutely wake up to a reelected President Trump in November of 2024. Okay, uh, let's switch to the Supreme Court. Uh, we have about two minutes before we take a break. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, has been in the news for ethics problems. Uh, Judge Al Justice Alioto, uh, Justice Thomas have both uh, received favors by uh, wealthy corporate types. Is this damaging the image of the Supreme Court? Well, there's no question. Gorsuch has his share in there, too. And actually, even I think it was Sotomayor, Sotomayor had an issue, but only with, with regard to not recusing herself uh, with a case that involved her publisher where she got royalties. Um, but all this other stuff you're talking about is, it, to me, much more significant. It's the lavish trips and, and the $1,000 bottles of wine and all that kind of stuff. The bottom line is, it not only is damaging the Supreme Court's reputation, it has damaged it. And the only person that can do anything about it is Chief Justice John Roberts. He won't even talk to the Senate and says the most important thing is the image of the court. He has done nothing and seems to be doing nothing to do a thing about it. And here's the problem. The Supreme Court has no enforcement mechanism. So the decisions, this is a great lead in because the decisions I know we'll talk about after the break, um, which are yet to come this week, the Supreme Court has no mechanism to enforce its decision except the confidence of the American people to abide by them. And if they don't trust the Supreme Court, I mean, they will abide by them, I imagine, but it's tougher and tougher for the public to accept what this court does and not see it as completely political. We're at that stage where the Supreme Court is seen as a completely political animal. Okay. Now we have to take a short break. Uh, uh, when we get back, uh, Paul will uh, still be with us. Uh, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court has already issued a number of decisions, but there are still three or four important decisions pending. Uh, we're going to talk about those when we get back from break with our guest, uh, Paul Lisnick, the political and legal analyst for WGN-TV in Chicago. Uh, and also, I should mention, Paul is a, a, not only a lawyer, but an accomplished author uh, uh, on the legal system. Uh, he's even written a, uh, a book called Assume Guilt. Uh, so uh, Paul is Renaissance Man here on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We'll be right back after this very quick break. I want to welcome back our radio listeners uh, who took a short break. 
and I want to again remind our radio listeners, if you want to watch the show uh, as well as listen to it, you can watch us on twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon or on facebook.com front slash deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos. Well, since we're talking about uh, states and elections, uh, the court uh, ruled today, I guess, on a Louisiana case that basically and uh, said that uh, the state legislature had racially gerrymandered uh, their elections and they asked, they basically allowed the opportunity for the state of Louisiana to create a second uh, a majority black district, and they did the same thing in a decision they issued a couple of weeks ago in Alabama. And both decisions kind of surprised me. Uh, again, you know, given the court's current composition, which seems to be let states do whatever they want to do. Well, I, it, it's surprising a lot of people actually, and some people think it's the calm before the storm that they're doing a couple things to preserve voting rights because get ready, there's some other stuff coming uh, this week. And I don't think the court works that way, but it's an interesting theory I hear posited on TV. But if you want some insight to the court, and I know Brad, you and I have chatted about cases that will come up and that I want you to, of course, it's your show, I want you to guide the conversation, but I would like to lead it off with a particular case because it Go sets ahead. the pace for everything else. And interestingly, it is the case of the web design in Colorado who refuses to design websites for same-sex couples because, um, well, we remember the cake baker case where it was a freedom of religion issue. This web designer, it's a freedom of speech issue. So th this is another attempt to say, don't make me design websites for same-sex couples. I don't want to do it. Now, you might say, well, what, why, is, why do I want to, what is that so important that I'm bringing that up first? Here's why. In order to get into the Supreme Court and the federal system, but in order to get into the Supreme Court, you have to have a plaintiff has to have what's called standing and injury and move the legal side of uh, put the legals of it away. What it means is the Supreme Court will not listen to you if you have experienced some kind of injury and you need that rectified. Uh, and and you are the right person to bring the case. That's called standing. Because if you're not the right, it was like in abortion cases. Sometimes when doctors would bring abortion rights, the court might say, wait, why are you bringing this case? You have to have standing. Well, in this particular case, it's literally unheard of. The court took the case with nobody being injured and nobody being, there wasn't a same-sex couple that requested her to make a web design and she said no, and so they sued. There wasn't anybody that she said no and I will take this to court, but she just doesn't want, she's never been asked to do it. She just doesn't want to do these websites for same-sex couples, so on her own, she goes, I'm going to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, we'll take that. The reason I wanted to lead with that is because I would put money in Vegas on the fact that they will stand behind the web designer in that case and recognizing whatever level of freedom of speech they want to give her. But we, all, we now know this is a court that will take issues that they want to speak to, even when the requirements for bringing them a case don't exist, like standing the most fundamental requirement. Okay. Uh, we'll watch for that. Uh, there's another case I'd like to talk about. Uh, two universities, uh, Harvard and I forget the other one, are being sued UNC. Uh, for affirmative action uh, admissions processes. Uh, explain that case, please. So the reason there's these two cases is Harvard is a, a, a private 
institution and UNC is a state institution. So this lets the court do whatever it's going to do uh, to uh, the issue is affirmative action and says, all right, what are you going to do in the private realm? What are you going to do in the in the state realm? Um, here's another prediction for you. And that's why I wanted to lead with the web designer case. Okay. Anybody that thinks the court is not going to wipe out affirmative action uh, this week is probably being naive. I'm not being an alarmist about it. The Supreme Court has really been against affirmative action, anything that looks like a racial quota, for decades. But they've never had the votes to completely wipe it out. So what has happened from the original affirmative action cases back in the early 70s, which allowed uh, institutions to consider race and make it a primary factor and make decisions that way, where it stands now is that universities and colleges may use race as one factor among many factors to determine whether or not um, somebody can get admitted or not admitted to a particular institution. So it's down to the point where it's only one factor. So why are they taking cases in which here the challenge is you are letting in too many minorities and now you're not letting enough Caucasians in? Because that's essentially what some of this stuff is. The reverse discrimination cases, one of them is, is Asian Americans. You're not letting enough of us in because you're too concerned about African Americans. And I'm not judging how people think about it. People can think about whatever they want with regard to affirmative action. But the bottom line is efforts to assist members of minorities to get into universities where they are historically underrepresented, that's up for extinction this week. And if I'm in Vegas, I'm betting on the court to get rid of affirmative action permanently this time. While you're describing a very activist Supreme Court, uh, you know, hunting out cases uh, that they want to deal with. They struck out the uh, right to abortion uh, last year. Uh, you right, Brad. I just got to say, there was no reason to take the abortion case last year. There was no pressing issue on it. So what you said is right. It's, this is an activist court. And by the way, conservatives are thrilled with the activism of this court. So they're happy. But there's no question this court is seeking out, taking cases that there's no reason to be taking. There's no issue within society that had to be resolved. And abortion was one of them. I mean, there's a deep issue in people's psyche about it. But there was nothing going on that required the court to address and fix that issue, which now, of course, has grown into Mifepristone issues and everything else. I mean, you're talking about a court here that, if you're right, and I'm sure you probably are, uh, is going to fundamentally change the social landscape in this nation. Uh, the uh, ruling against abortion, uh, the ruling uh, we just talked about, about gay rights, uh, the ruling about independent state legislatures and affirmative action. Uh, you could really see a political firestorm this I'll week. give you one more. Oh, go ahead. The Biden loan program. Okay. That's coming down this week. Now, that's not, I, I'm, I'm not putting that in the same category necessarily as affirmative action and others, but the bottom line is the Biden loan program is based on an act called the HEROES Act that was passed in 2003, which gave the executive branch extra powers to assist the heroes, but also people who are suffering within these national disaster kinds of situations. The loan program, of course, comes from the COVID uh, uh, problem and, and, and uh, you know, what everybody was dealing with. But the bottom line here is that the Republican legislatures who have complained about that to the court said the executive branch doesn't have the authority to do what it's doing, to basically release people from ten to $20,000 
in loan obligations. Once again, I never comment on the substantive. There are people who think, why should you pay for, why should I have to pay for your $10,000 loan when I paid for mine? I get all of that. So, uh, but the bottom line is what is the court likely to do? It's this court is very hostile to almost anything that comes out of the Biden administration, not everything, but a lot of it. And I think we can expect them to say, no, the president did not have the authority to do this particular act, but we'll do it in a limited enough way so that if a Republican returns to the White House in a couple of years, it might be interesting how they will find a way to find out what the executive branch does then is perfectly acceptable. Okay, let me ask you a question. I want to ask you a last question about the Trump uh, legal problems. You know, my concern is this nation has a lot of fundamental problems to deal with. Uh, Climate change, which is causing health, widespread health and economic problems here in the United States. Uh, Gun violence, uh, changing uh, racial uh, complexion of the nation, uh, which leads to late racial tension. Do you think that this campaign is going to be more about indictments than ideas for solving the problems facing the United States? I think Democrats hope that it will. Democrats want this election to be about abortion and probably affirmative action. And the fact that the Republican legislature has done nothing except impeach people and go after people. I mean, today the news is Jim Jordan wants to go after Merrick Garland. Um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of a lot of attacks on Kamala Harris on the border situation and the administration. They want to impeach Biden over the border situation. I kind of understand you know, why they feel that way. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to interrupt you. We're running out of time. I want to thank our guest, uh, Paul Lisnick, legal and political analyst uh, for WGN-TV in Chicago. Uh, Caroline Vakil covers the presidential race of the Hill and our intrepid executive producer, Mark Bamaldi. Uh, We'll be back, so enjoy yourselves. There'll be more Deadline DC with Brad Bannon down the line.